So uh, think back to elementary school, and uh, hopefully that's not like a painful memory or anything um, like some of the parts of elementary school were for me, but think back to elementary school though, specifically to when you were learning about science. It seems like one of those experiments that, that almost everyone does at some point is the volcano experiment. Yes, okay, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so you, you get a plastic bottle, and then you, you, you take some flour and oil and other ingredients, you kind of make a volcano mold around the bottle, and then down into the bottle you put baking soda, vinegar, and maybe if you really want to get interesting, you put a few drops of food coloring in there, and all of a sudden the chemicals start to react and they bubble up, and you have, right before your eyes, uh, a volcano. And you know, when you're eight, nine, ten years old, that's just cool, right? I actually thought, you know, I should, I should take and I should make one, right? But they can get kind of messy, and I thought, this is a nice stage, and uh, we're trying to be good stewards, so maybe we won't make a mess. But, you know, when you're uh, in third, fourth grade, and you're doing that experiment, it's just cool, right? And your teacher's talking about chemicals and blah, 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 and, and none of it really sinks in, and you're not really paying attention. The only thing you care about is bubbles. And so then you get a little older and maybe you get to high school and you actually start to take chemistry and you start to learn about the way uh, different chemicals react with one another and the gases. And, and you learn that, that baking soda is a, a bicarbonate. And I don't really know what that means, but that's what the uh, university website that I looked it up on said. So I'm just going to go with it. And, um, and the, the bicarbonate baking soda interacts with the acetic acid of the vinegar and it creates a chemical reaction. And among the gases that's released is carbon dioxide, which kind of creates the bubbling effect and everything comes up. Now, when you get a little older, you start to realize that, that when gas expands, it has to escape. And so if, if you actually put a cap on the bottle and turn the bottle the other way, that eventually the gas will kind of explode out the bottom and you'll have your own little bottle rocket. Or maybe you're like me and you used to have fun, you'd take dry ice and a little bit of water, put it in the bottle, seal it up, and then just kind of back off and just watch. You know, you take a 20 ounce soda bottle and watch it balloon up to this before it explodes, right? And it's just, it's cool and you're learning about science and the way that God has created and designed the world. And, and if you think about it, and maybe you've never really thought about it this way. You know, experiments don't end when you leave high school. We continue to do experiments throughout our lives. Maybe not science experiments, although if you're a science uh, major, or you studied something like that in college, then you probably continue to do experiments. But for most of us, our day's experiments kind of end in high school or so we think. Because the reality is that all of us continue to do experiments throughout our lives. The ingredients just change. And the questions that we're trying to answer change. We go from uh, trying to experiment and find answers to scientific questions to trying to experiment and find answers to philosophical questions. What's life all about? What am I here for? What brings me purpose and meaning in life? What gives me satisfaction? What gives me true and lasting satisfaction? What gets me out of bed 
in the morning. And so we set off in our lives, probably sometime in college or in the years immediately after, to kind of find out and discover what is it that brings satisfaction in life. And some of us take a religious route to try to discover the answers to that. Maybe because of our upbringing, we were told that, that satisfaction in life comes from obeying God, from following his commands, from doing what he says. And so we set out and we try to kind of earn our way to God. We follow this religious system because what we think is that if I do the right things, God will respond to me the way I want him to. That God will bless me. That God will make me happy. That if I just have enough faith that God will come through for me and God will give me whatever I want. And then the reality is that sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes the giver doesn't come through with the gifts, or at least not the gifts that we want him to. And we find ourselves a little bit disillusioned. And maybe that's your story. Maybe your journey of faith, you came to a point in your life where you kind of got tired of the religious treadmill, and you said, you know what, this just isn't working. And you walked away from your faith. Because God didn't come through for you the way you wanted him to and you said, you know what, that's enough. I'm not even sure what I believe anymore. Maybe some of you, that's the position that you're in right now. You uh, have tried to find satisfaction in life by pleasing God, by keeping the rules and there's just something inside of you that's still empty and you're wondering, is it really possible to find true and lasting satisfaction in life? Others of us, we kind of go a different route to maybe try to determine you know, this source of true and lasting satisfaction. We like to pretend that the rules don't even exist. We like to pretend that there are no rules. We go off and we live life the way we wanna live. We go off and we live life according to the standards of our culture and so we throw everything we have into trying to earn more money. And it's always about how to earn more money and invest and get more and more. Or we throw ourselves into our career and we're always trying to get ahead. We're always looking for a kind of another job opportunity, a way to advance, a way to go forward in life because we're restless. We're looking for for a, a sense of purpose and meaning. We're trying to find satisfaction through our careers, through our jobs. And and, you know, it's very interesting, especially the the younger generation. Uh, Forbes magazine did a, it's kind of a study slash survey of millennials. And millennials are the people born kind of 1980 to maybe 2000, a little before that. And what they discovered was that millennials on average will have 15 to 20 career jobs throughout their lives. Now, those aren't like the part-time jobs you work in high school or while you're going to college. This is like career type jobs, the kind of jobs that you have a resume for and they offer benefits and a 401k plan and all that kind of stuff. 15 to 20 career jobs, why? Because millennials are restless. And what they think is, I will find my purpose and meaning and satisfaction in life as soon as I find a perfect job. And we have an entire industry built on trying to help people find their perfect job, Find a a job that will suit them and people pursue their sense of value and worth through their careers. We're restless and we carry this mindset over into the other areas of our lives. We carry it over into our relationships. If my marriage isn't working for me, I'll just get out of my marriage. Maybe I'll find a new one or maybe not. If my friends aren't working for me, maybe I'll just walk away. I'll go find a new set of friends. I'll move to another city to get away. I'll just get over, uh, start over, get a fresh start. 
If my church isn't working for me, maybe I'll just go find a new church. I'll just go find somewhere else because I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting what I want and I'm gonna make church about me and what I get rather than about worshiping God and coming together in a community of other believers and serving them. See, we're an inherently restless people and what we're convinced of is that everything we need is found in what's next. Everything we need comes from that thing, whatever it is, you fill in the blank for you. Whatever it is we don't have, it's just beyond our reach. And once I get that, then I will have what I'm looking for. Then I will have true and lasting satisfaction. But here's what happens. And some of you have already experienced this and some of you are going to experience this. You reach a point where you get to where you thought you wanted to be and you realize it doesn't give you what you thought it was gonna give you. It doesn't bring that sense of meaning. It doesn't deliver that sense of purpose. It brought satisfaction for a little while, but it wasn't true, lasting satisfaction. And you're left wondering, can anything bring me true and lasting satisfaction? That question has been uh, kind of echoing around uh, in people's minds throughout the pages of history. In fact, 3,000 years ago, there was a king of Israel named Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest, wealthiest, smartest, most successful individuals to ever live. Anything you can imagine, he did, and he probably did it better than what you could even imagine it. And, and he sits down and he writes this book, probably near the end of his life, this book that we have in our Bible known as Ecclesiastes. And in this book, he reflects back on all the ways that he uh, tried to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life. And last week, we kind of started off this series, uh, The Good Life, and we looked at chapter one, and we talked about an overview of the book that Solomon is writing about what we find under the sun, those aspects of life that we can see, what we might consider the, the ways of the world, the life as we know it, life as we can see it, life as it surrounds us and Solomon writes about that and here's a guy that by the world's standards he's done everything that you could possibly want to do everything that you could possibly think of to find satisfaction and he's writing and he looks at it all and he says you know it's just meaningless it looks meaningless it feels meaningless it seems meaningless it is meaningless and you realize pretty quickly that Ecclesiastes is not a book that you're gonna find on the bestseller table in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. Oprah and Dr. Phil are not jumping to put Ecclesiastes on their book list of must-read books. But this incredible, challenging book has some amazing wisdom and insight for us. Because if there was ever a culture that pursued life the way Solomon did, it was ours. And if there was ever a culture that needed the message that he has in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's ours. Because, and, and this is kind of going to spoil the ending, but we talked about it already last week. When Solomon, he gets to the end of the book and, and he kind of looks back and he says, you know what, it's outside of a life lived with God and for God, none of this makes sense. Nothing that happens under the sun makes sense or matters. It's all 
meaningless. And so tonight we're going to continue. We're going to be in the first part of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at a passage where what Solomon does here is he kind of recounts all of these ways that he uh, experimented and tried to find satisfaction and meaning in life. And he's going to kind of answer this question for us. Where do we find true and lasting satisfaction? So we'll read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 starting in verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I'll, I'll test you. Okay, so here's the experiment. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So Solomon recognizes life is short, and I knew that, and I wanted to get all I could out of life because I wanted to know at the end of the day, what is it that's going to bring me satisfaction. So he recounts everything he did. Verse four, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Anything you can possibly think of that you would want to do in life, anything that anybody in our day today has done, Solomon did it and he did it better. He did it bigger. This is the Cliff Notes version. Sometime you can go over to 1 Kings one, uh, chapters 1 through 11 and you can actually read there about Solomon's life, all the things that he accomplished. Uh, the temple he built, the palace he built, incredibly ornate. He had architectural success. He had uh, farming and agricultural success. He had artistic success. I mean, good grief, he had a choir on demand. How'd you like to have a choir? I wonder if they just kind of followed him around. You know how sometimes it's just like a soundtrack for your life that's playing in your mind? I wonder if Solomon was just kind of walking around and, and they're like back there, I'm walking on sunshine, ah, right? Because he is living the good life. He says at one point, he says, uh, silver was kind of like, yeah. Like this is a culture that doesn't have currency. So precious metals, silver, gold, that's a big deal. Silver, yeah. I had so much of it, it was kind of like, eh. You want some silver? Here you go. I mean, it was just, he was that rich, right? Power, intellect, rulers from the surrounding nations would come to him for advice because he was known throughout that part of the world for his wisdom. He could have uh, sex whenever he wanted. I mean, this is a guy that had everything our world says you need to find true and lasting satisfaction. And yet listen to what he says about all this. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. So it's not that he got uh, nothing out of it. It's not that he had no satisfaction. It's just that what he saw was all he got. When he laid down on his bed at night, when his head hit the pillow, there was just this sense that something was missing. 
There was just this sense that there was more to life than just what he was pursuing. And so he goes on and he says this in verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon lists all his accomplishments, all the ways that he has succeeded. And at the end, he says what Mick Jagger would sing about several thousand years later. I can't get no satisfaction. Solomon, come on, you gotta be kidding me. You've done all of this incredible stuff. Surely, surely there was something in life that brought you true and lasting satisfaction. What was it? Nothing. Okay, okay, that's, you're just, you know, you're being humble. You're just saying that. Or you're just having a bad day. Come on, be, be honest. What is it that brings me satisfaction in life? Nothing. Or at least nothing under the sun. Nothing according to the way that we tend to view life in the world around us. Solomon, where do you find true and lasting satisfaction? You don't. Now, doesn't that just like encourage you, right? I mean, aren't you so glad we're doing this series? Okay, I'm a pessimist, okay? And even I think this book is a downer, right? I mean, it's like, really, come on. But, but here's what you realize. And some of you have realized this. Deep down, we know that Solomon's right, don't we? We know that even if we achieved everything we tell ourselves we want to achieve in life, we would still find ourselves, if we were honest, in a position where we, like Solomon, would say, you know what? It's all meaningless. And we know that because we've either tried and come to that place in our life, or many of us are in the midst of trying to find our satisfaction in those places where Solomon looked, where Solomon experimented, and we're realizing that it's not taking us where we want to be. And, and maybe you've come to a, a place in your reali- where you've realized that, that none of this is going to satisfy. Or maybe you have yet to come to that place because for you, you think it's just about what's next. It's just about that uh, promotion that you didn't have. It's just about that relationship that you don't have yet. But isn't it true that what we always want, what we always think will be the thing that brings us satisfaction is whatever's next. It doesn't matter what area of life it is. We always want what's next. So when you're making $10,000 a year, you think, man, if I could just make $20,000 a year, that'd be awesome. And then you make 20,000 and you wanna make 30,000. And it's just, it doesn't matter what you get to, you always want more because there's always something else you could have if you had more. This is why athletes that make millions of dollars We'll say, ah, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. Yeah, I'm not going to get several hundred thousand dollars because I choose not to play, but I'm going to sit out. Why? Because I don't just want millions of dollars. I want tens of millions of dollars. See, it's always about what's next. You're living with mom and dad, and you're thinking, if I could just have an apartment, that would be awesome. So you find some roommates, and you scrape together enough money to uh, get an apartment, pay the electric bills, and eat ramen seven days a week. And you're like, this is so cool. 
And then after a while, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know. And so you start to look for a house to rent. And what happens after you rent a house? Well, I'm renting, I'm throwing my money away, I'm renting, so I need to buy a house. So you go out and you buy a house and you buy that house and it's cool for a while and then you're going, ah, you know, we could use some new paint, new flooring, maybe the kitchen could be remodeled. And so you remodel the house. And then after you remodel your house, you realize that your house is now worth more. So you're like, you know what we should do? We should sell it. And then with the extra money we make, we can buy a newer house and a bigger house. And you see, it's just always going on. When you're single, you want to be dating. When you're dating, you want to be engaged. When you're engaged, you want to be married. When you're married, you want to start a family. When you have a family, you want the kids to grow up and move out so you can go back to having it be just the two of you. And that's just the way it works. We always want what's next. We always think that next thing is what's going to bring me true and lasting satisfaction. And Solomon comes along and he says... No, it won't. And you read that, and it's tempting to look at it and, and to kind of say, okay, well, is it really possible then to find true and lasting satisfaction in life? Maybe there really is no point. Maybe life is meaningless. It all kind of just pointless. And despite what we read about there, you, you got to keep in mind the whole picture of Ecclesiastes. And you got to keep in mind all the ways throughout the book that Solomon hints at something more. And it's subtle, but it's there. That Solomon, uh, and he may not even realize he's doing this, but he's hinting at the fact that maybe there's something more out there. Maybe there's something more to life than just what we see here under the sun. Maybe there's someone more. Maybe there's someone who would come and bring true and lasting satisfaction. Someone who would say that life with God is available. Solomon does not mention Jesus in Ecclesiastes. He does not prophesy about a coming Messiah, but when you read what he says, when you read his conclusion, you realize that the kind of life Solomon is looking for and the kind of satisfaction he's looking for is the kind that is only found because of and through a relationship with Jesus. So fast forward a thousand years, uh, Jesus has come, he's lived the perfect life, he's died a sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, he's been raised from the dead, he's ascended back to the Father, and onto the scene comes a guy named Paul. Uh, God grabs this guy, he takes him from a murderer, and he turns him into uh, the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known. And so Paul goes from persecuting Christians to to planting churches. He travels throughout the Roman Empire, and everywhere he goes, he starts these little ecclesias, these gatherings, what we call churches today. And as he's kind of doing this, he writes letters along the way, and one of the letters he writes is to a group of Christians uh, living in a town known as Colossae. And he writes to these people to tell them and to encourage them to think about life from a different perspective. And this is incredible because we're going to kind of dive in and look at this, and it's in this that we're going to see that, yeah, there is an answer to the question of of where do we find true and lasting satisfaction. So Colossians chapter 3 in verse 1, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Remember last week we talked about under the sun, above the sun? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now this group of Christians Paul is writing to uh, had a tendency to focus in and pursue knowledge. They were really trying to find these secret hidden keys to the Christian life and the secret uh, hidden knowledge uh, that would make sense of life. And Paul's going, no, 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 you're looking in the wrong place. You're not looking for what's down here. What you need to do is set your mind on things above. Set your mind on that which is eternal. And he goes on, he gives the reason for this. Verse three, for you died. And he's talking about death with Christ. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says the way you used to live before you were a Christian, the way you used to think is not the way you're to think now because you are not the person that you once were. You have died to your old way of living. More than that though, you have been raised with Christ and not only that, you are hidden with Christ. In fact, Christ is your life. Christ is your source of true and lasting satisfaction. See, there's more to life than just this life. There's more to life than what we see under the sun. And as long as we pursue what's under the sun, just what we can see life according to to what our culture says and according to what the world says will bring us satisfaction, if that's all we do, then we too, like Solomon, will say this is meaningless. But if we'll look beyond that, if we'll look to that, that kind of life that Solomon hints at, to, to a life that is a little bit different, to a life with someone at the center rather than something at the center, then our life will begin to make sense. Then our life will begin to have purpose and meaning because it's only through Jesus that we find true and lasting satisfaction. And when we, when we find our true and our lasting satisfaction in Jesus, then under the sun actually begins to take on meaning and make sense. It's not that everything we do is, is, is meaningless and has no value. It's not that what we do day in, day out can't or shouldn't bring us enjoyment. No, we should enjoy our work. Solomon talks about that. We should enjoy eating and drinking. We should enjoy relationships. We should enjoy our lives, but we ought to enjoy them with an understanding that Christ alone is our source of true and lasting satisfaction. Bottom line, it's only through a relationship with Jesus that we find true and lasting satisfaction. It's only by placing our faith in him that everything else falls into place and we begin to make sense of our lives. And and for many of us, we've heard that before. That's not new information, but in my experience, this is something that, that we need to be reminded of every day. Because on a daily basis, we are being bombarded with a different message. We are being bombarded with a message that says, it's out there. What you're looking for is out there, and it's in what you don't have yet. And if you just go after it, if you just get it, then you'll have everything you're looking for. But Solomon would say, no, that's not true. And Jesus would say, no, that's not true. And Paul would say, no, that's not true. You see, it's only through a relationship with Jesus 
that we find true and lasting satisfaction. So maybe you're here tonight and uh, this is your first time here and you're not a Christian, you haven't come to a place where you've put your faith in Jesus yet. Man, we're so glad you're here. And maybe for you tonight, uh, this is just an invitation, maybe something uh, as we kind of chatted and we looked at those verses, something resonated with you and you said, that's my story. You know, our mission as a church is, is to invite people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. We want to help people take their next steps of faith. And so maybe for you tonight, your next step of faith is to just ask some questions of the person that brought you to say, you know, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to, to put my faith and trust in him? What does that look like? I'm not sure I want to do that, but I, I would at least like to know more. I'd at least like some more information about that. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you kind of heard all that, uh, but you're not quite ready to, to say that, that Jesus is your savior. You like his message. You like the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. You like the way he treated people, how he cared for the poor. There's something about that that resonates with you. But when it comes to the idea of giving up control of your life and letting him be the one that calls the shots, that's where you kind of push back. That's where you resist and you say, oh, you know, I just, I'm not willing to do that. And if that's you, then I would encourage you to really give it another thought. Because I think you already know that what you're going to find is the same thing Solomon found. That as long as you try to do life your way, you're going to end up feeling a sense of emptiness. There'll be moments where you don't, but there'll also be nights where you lay down and you'll feel like you were made for something more, but you're just not willing to take that step. Why not make tonight the night that you put that flag in the ground, that you finally say, you know what, I, I surrender. Jesus, I turn from my sin, I turn to you, I trust in your death and resurrection for my sins. And I don't know what all this means, but I am going to make you my Lord and Savior. I'm going to pursue a relationship with you. Why not make tonight that night? Put the flag in the ground. And maybe afterwards then, you go out to our next steps table out in the foyer and you talk about getting baptized next week outside, after the service, about going public with your faith, faith, announcing to uh, this community of believers and, and to this world that says, I am moving from being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. I'm letting him be the one that calls the shots. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, but you still find yourself caught up pursuing everything that we talked about. And there's a tension there, a tension between knowing that true and lasting satisfaction comes through a relationship with Jesus and a tension of still wanting to experience the world and being afraid that you'll miss out on something. I know that's kind of a tension that I wrestle with. And maybe for us, tonight and this week, maybe what we need to do is to just say a simple prayer. To say, Heavenly Father, help me to see as you see. Help me to set my mind on things above. Help me to see as you see and set my mind on things above because when you set your mind on things above, when you begin to have an eternal perspective, it changes your life. It changes the decisions you make. And when that starts to happen, then you realize, wow, it's true. That satisfaction, true and lasting satisfaction, 
It's only found through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would drive that truth very deeply into our hearts. Pray now as, as we, even now as we take communion, as we take that, that cracker that represents the broken body of your son, Jesus, as we drink the blood, uh, the cup that represents his shed blood, blood that he poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. May we be reminded that we have died to our old way of living. But more than that, we have been raised, raised to a new way of life, life where we're hidden with your son, Jesus, who is our life and who is coming again in glory. And when he does, we'll appear with him. And in that incredible moment, we'll realize that everything we thought we knew about life under the sun was not what we thought. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.